All right, well, if you are in the foyer hearing the sound of my voice, just, if you're in this building, please make your way in. We're going to get started um, with tonight's lesson and I'm going to go live online right now. So welcome to Abundant Life Ministries for tonight's uh, Wednesday evening Answers in Genesis curriculum study. We've been going through the Old Testament and uh, looking at the events of history that we find within the Word of God throughout the Old Testament. And then as we go through, what we've been doing is drawing parallels between that time and uh, what it reveals to us about God. You know, we I believe we've been learning a lot about God's character through this study. Uh, we see His interaction early in uh, the history of mankind. And of course, um, there are all along the way are types and shadows of Jesus Christ. Um, God just gives Giving a, an indication of what would be to come. So it's just been such a great study this far. Um, tonight's lesson, God's covenant with Abram. Abram, I say I want to say Abraham, but Abram. Um, God's covenant with Abram. He's not Abraham yet. That's going to come uh, next week in, in our next lesson. But uh, right now we're up to Genesis 15 and 16. These are going to be the two texts we study tonight. Genesis chapter 15 and 16. We're going to be talking about God's covenant with Abram. Now we've talked about another covenant in a recent um, Answers in Genesis lesson and that was about the covenant God made with Noah and in that covenant he gave um, the sign the seal of a rainbow and in that covenant he made the promise that he would never flood the earth again and so we've seen a covenant um, that God has established with mankind already. Here's another one tonight we're going to see it with, uh, with Abram. God makes a covenant with Abram. We're going to look kind of in depth at what that process was like and what that meant for Abram and then the people to come and we're going to draw some parallels with the covenant that we enjoy um, with God today because he didn't just make this covenant and leave that as the end. There were other covenants made and um, it's a great blessing, blessing to be in a covenant in a, an agreement with God. Let's pray tonight as we start this study. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just the revelation and the teaching that comes by your Holy Spirit that uh, because we, we come ready to hear, ready to see truth and, and have truth revealed to us tonight, Lord, we've come expectant of that. I, I just I pray that that would be the case, that it would come to pass, that as the word is spoken, it goes out and has effect. It goes out and teaches as the word is spoken. Um, the living word, which is taught by your spirit, would be taught to us and revealed in our hearts that we would grow in our understanding of the truth, grow in our understanding of history, grow in our understanding of um, how history has progress to this moment. Help us, Lord, as we study um, to be able to give a better defense for our beliefs, for our faith, to give an account of why we believe and trust and have hope in you. Um, Lord, I just pray for this tonight. I thank you, too, that we see things about you as we, we discuss the covenant you made with Abram. I just pray that we would be blessed and um, have our faith built up tonight, Lord. That's a scripture we're going to read this evening, that faith comes by hearing the word. And so tonight, as we hear the word, I thank you that our faith is being stirred our faith is being built tonight. Lord, we have expectation for this time, and we thank you that you are faithful. You're here with us tonight, and so we're, we're thankful, and we love you. We have great expectation on tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's get in and read chapter 15 first, and then we'll have a, a moment to stop and do some discussion, and then after that, we'll get into chapter 16 of Genesis. We're going to look at these two chapters, talk about um, the promise, the covenant that God affirms with Abraham. 
or Abram tonight, and then we're going to talk about an event that took place right after God makes this covenant agreement. Um, we're going to talk about just how faithful God is. Um, and then at the end, if, if we've got the time, we have a few apologetic points to make about covenants, about um, the, the promised land that, that is discussed here in some of the people groups in it, and then the promise of descendants. And we're going to talk about some apologetic conversations that we can have that just uh, reinforce the truth of the Word of God. So let's read Genesis chapter 15 together tonight. If you would, you can turn in your Bibles, otherwise we'll have it on the screen in the um, English Standard Version. Genesis 15, verse 1, says, After these things, the word of the Lord, and, and I'll give you the context, because um, we last week we talked about Abram and Lot. We actually jumped ahead a couple of chapters, and we discussed Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and the week before that, we had talked about this great war with the kings of the east and how um, God delivered them into his hand. If you remember that lesson, Abram pursued Lot, his nephew, uh, like a thousand miles to go and save him and bring him back. And, uh, you know, these armies were delivered into the hand of Abram and his 300 and some guys. Um, just proving the, the capability of God and his faithfulness to deliver the enemies into Abram's hand, give him victory, bless him, and increase him. And as a byproduct, Lot was blessed too. And so we kind of took a week to divert and talk about Lot a little bit more, and we went into Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're backtracking now. We're picking up in Genesis 15, verse 1, and this is, this is immediately following the war. This is immediately following the war and the interaction that Abram had uh, with King Melchizedek, that priest from um, uh, Shiloh. And so after this, we pick up here and uh, God comes and he is talking to Abram uh, about covenant. And so let's get into this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir, referring to Eliezer. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. God's reaffirming the promise that we had read about in Genesis 12 when he said he was going to make him a great nation. We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Um, verse 5 here says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of stars. If you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, Abram, he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these. Abram brought all these before God. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. This is referring to Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, which was the time that Israel was in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. We know in Exodus that that's what happens. As, you, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. He's saying you're going to live a life and, and you're going to end your life in peace. You're not going to end up in this affliction. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And this is where we end chapter 15. What we've just seen is, is God coming after this um, very, very intense battle and, and a moment where Abram saw God faithful to do what he had said he would do. And, and we'll just referencing Genesis 12 again, God had said that he would make Abram a great nation, he would make his name great, and he would make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so we had just seen God come through, um, help, well, God delivered the enemy of those kings into Abram's hand. He was making his name great throughout the region. I mean, Abram was, was gaining a name for himself. The Hebrew people were um, growing in reputation in the area because they had just defeated these four kings from the east. And yet, here when God shows up and he begins talking to Abram, he reaffirms this promise about how he is going to have descendants. This is where it picks up right away in verse 1. He says, fear not, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. I mean, that fits right in with that battle that had just gone on. And then Abram says, you know, God, yes, you came through for me on this battle, but there's this other promise you made to me that I don't see happening. He says, what are you going to give me? I continue childless. I don't have an heir. And yet you said you were going to make me a great nation. And I mean, really, he brings up Eliezer of Damascus. And, and that's not saying, you know, God, I see that you're doing it this way. It's, it's really more like, Lord, I'm still without this promise that you've given me. I'm not seeing it happen. Yeah, he says underneath in verse 3, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. When he says a member of my household will be my heir, he wasn't saying, I'm going to have a son. This wasn't a faith statement. He wasn't saying, my, I know you're going to come through, God. You're going to give me a son. I'm going to name him Isaac. I'm going to pass the test of, you know, am I willing to lay him down and sacrifice him? And then he's going to go on and have a son who will be named Jacob and then Israel. And they're going to have 12 kids. And then the, that's going to be the nation of Israel. That wasn't a faith statement. He was saying, God... The, the person that's going to gain and inherit my whole house is this like Egyptian servant that we picked up at the last location. He's like, we've, we've been on a road trip and, and one of the hitchhikers is the person who's going to get all the stuff when I die. I mean, he's like, this, this whole great nation thing isn't really panning out. What's up with this promise, God? Where, where, where is this promise that you've said that you would have? And so Abram, he's got this promise stirring in him that had been given when he left 
um, Ur or Haran when he departed from the land of his father, which was Haran. We talked about that a few weeks ago. In Genesis 12, we find that. He, he gets a promise then, and then he goes on and travels. And we talked about his travels. He goes down through Israel. He goes over into Egypt because of the famine. He makes his way back up. He defeats all these kings. He goes and he's going to rescue Lot here in a little bit. He takes this land. God's providing for him, increasing him, blessing him. I mean, it seems good, but then all throughout this time, He's not forgotten the fact that God said, I will make you a great nation, and yet there's no one in his lineage that's going to go and be a great nation. He's without a child. And so this promise of descendants to make a great, it takes descendants to make a great nation. You know that? I mean, you, you, there has to be reproduction in order for one man to become a great nation. And in fact, we see God talking here about how the stars of heaven, I mean, he says it right here in verse five, brings him outside, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number him, this is how your offspring is going to be. This is what your descendants, this is what your lineage is going to look like as, as much as the stars of heaven. And so Abram, the great man of faith that he is, is having this question of, God, where is the follow-through on this promise that you've given? Now, we have the benefit of looking back in time, and we know how it progresses. We know how this part of the story ends. We know that um, God is faithful, and we're going to talk about that tonight. You know, that really this promise of a great nation, I just want to identify, this is twofold. It's not just talking about Abram having a physical son who's going to go and have grandkids and great-grandkids and there's just going to be a big happy family. There is that because we know there would be and there is a nation of Israel who would come through Isaac and then Jacob who would have 12 sons. Those would be the 12 tribes of Israel. Through that lineage, the seed that was promised in Genesis 2 would come. Christ would come through the lineage of Israel. He would come and, and make a way for all of us to be adopted into that family and that's really the second part of this descendancy because when God is saying I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless the whole world through you he's not just talking about the great 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 grandchildren of the physical line of Abram he's talking about all of us all the people that would be grafted in and adopted in the name of Christ and we see in Romans 4 verse 11 if you'll turn there or pull it up on your scripture sheet with me Romans 4 verse 11 talking about Jesus and the covenant we have, it says, and he received the sign of, of circumcision, circumcision, a seal of the righteousness. This is referencing Abram, Abraham and what would happen through him. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those, say that with me, all those who believe. Hey, I'm one of all those who believe. You're one of all those who believe. And so just like how Abram, Abraham, he, he had faith before he had a physical sign of covenant. Before what we're going to look at today and then next week, before that covenant was done and complete, he had faith. And something we're going to see in a few scriptures today is that the word says over and over, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was counted as right before God because he had faith in God before he even had this covenant with God. And so he was, a, it says here, he's a father to all those who believe, though they're uncircumcised, that righteousness may, might be imputed to them also. So that means before there was ever, you know, a legal process, a law to follow, before there was ever a sign of covenant for every young male in a family to take through circumcision before any of that was established Abram was counted as the father of all those who would come to believe in Jesus and so praise God we've been adopted into that family that's why I can sing father Abraham had many sons Amen. he is a, he's a father because it was through Abram 
and God would establish a great nation, a great kingdom. I like, I like the word kingdom. And so God establishes a great nation. But we know that this, this promise to Abram, he didn't know how the next you know, 4,000 years would progress. He, he didn't know we were going to be standing here today in 2021 talking about how we've all been brought in. And we're all children, so to speak, of Abram, the father uh, of faith. And so he didn't know that. And he's here and at this point in time, um, we'll get into this here more in a bit, but he was kind of old. Abram, he wasn't young. And this is part of the reason that we believe he was getting so impatient. And it wasn't just that he was physically old, but he had been waiting a long time on the promise. I want to save some of that for when we get there in a little bit. But Abram's here questioning God about this promise that God had given him. And I know that none of us have ever done that about a single promise. I know we've never said, well, God, what about the scriptures that says this? I'm not seeing that. I, I know I don't know. You know, I'm reading this, but that doesn't line up with what I'm seeing. So God, is, what's up with the promise? Where's the promise at? I'll say this, when God showed up in Genesis 15 and has this conversation with Abram and then goes on to cut covenant, which we'll talk about in a second with Abraham, Abram, his faith in the promise of God was stirred. And this is something important. And hey, I love talking about faith. And so I just had to go there tonight. But if we read Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, Abram was at a point in his life where he was, I, I believe he was struggling to maintain faith in the word of God, faith in the promise of God. And he didn't have the benefit of having a Bible that he could carry around with him or maybe on his phone. He didn't have the word of God to go back and build himself up with and read on a daily basis and talk to other believers about. He didn't have any of those benefits that we have today. He just had the one word that he had gotten like 10 years ago in a different land about what God was going to do eventually and he wasn't seeing it happen yet. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't doubt that his faith was being maybe, he had a hard time holding on to that faith. I have no doubt that it would have been challenging to not question what God had said. He didn't have the word to continue stirring his faith up and building his faith up. You know, when God, when God brought up the promise, we, and, and I want to just go back to the word to, to verify this, because, I mean, that's, that's a big claim to say Abram was questioning what God had said. Because there's other scriptures, and I don't know if we're going to read the exact one, but in Romans uh, 4, it talks about how Paul writes, Abram didn't waver in his faith. And yet here we see Abram, it looks like he's wavering in his faith. I mean, he says to God, behold, you've given me no offspring. I'm supposed to be a great nation and I don't have a single child, God. Where is the follow through on the promise? And so I'm just showing you where it's at in the word because I don't, I don't want to just get off on some weirdness that I'm making up. But this is what I'm reading in the Bible. I think Abram was questioning because what he was seeing in reality was different than what God had spoken. And I don't know about you, but anytime I've ever had doubt or, or question about what the word says, it's because reality isn't lining up with what I'm seeing. You know that? It's never in the times where, hey man, it's, it's working and I'm seeing the miracle happen right now in this moment. I, Hey, it's easy to stay in faith when it's like that, but, but what about when reality hasn't lined up with, it hasn't manifested in my life yet, but I still know that the word says something different than what I'm seeing. Am I still going to believe? Because really that's what faith is. It's belief when there's, when I'm not seeing it. That's right. Anybody can believe something they see. 
Faith is believing the word, even if I'm not seeing it play out in reality yet. And so, praise God, he shows up and he brings the word to stir Abram's faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so when the word comes in, faith is built up. Faith is stirred up. And here's something else that I think is just, it's a good parallel for us. Abram, I believe he he had faith in some things but a lack of faith in other things. I, I believe, you know, he had seen God work in some areas. He, he had seen God give him land. He had seen God come through and delivering Lot. He had seen God deliver the enemy into his hand. I mean, he had, he had seen God work. I believe he had faith for some parts of this. I believe he had faith um, in the blessing part of this, in the making the name great part of this. But then when it came to this issue of his, his lineage, he's questioning and so I just thought I would point that out because I think sometimes there are things maybe we're more comfortable with or we've got a little bit more faith in and we're quicker to put our faith in God for some things but slower to put our faith in God for other things. God's plan for us is to have faith in Him for everything that He's promised us in the Word. It's not just like, hey, here's the promise, here's the book, here's my word of what I want to do, here's the, here's the agreement that I've got with you, because he had already told Abram what he was going to do for him. And, you know, we, we say it today, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? And, and yet, still sometimes we can question, we can struggle with putting the doubt to rest and just standing in faith. I'm encouraged to know that Abram's faith was stirred when the word came and it makes me appreciate even the more that I can go to my Bible on a daily basis and stir up my faith if I'm not sure. You know, if if I'm struggling with believing something that I know to be true in the word, I can go read it here. I can go read God's letter to me over and over and over. I can read his agreement with me over and over and over. It's going to stir me up. It's going to build my faith up. And so God has revealed himself and his plan to us through the word, through his son, and the spirit. Praise God, we have more word today than believers at any other time in history. Amen. I just want to point that out because I think it's, it's important to note. We've got more word. To, we ought to be more full of faith today than any other believers at any other point in history because we've got greater access to the word than any other time ever. And, and the Spirit's been poured out on all believers today in a way that it wasn't in the Old Testament. So, you know, I'm just encouraged that I can read the Old Testament and see the amazing things that God did through people then and know He wants to do even greater things in us today. Yeah. Amen. It's good news, isn't it? Praise God. He has revealed Himself to us. And when we read the Word, our faith is going to be stirred. Just like we see with Abram, he gets his faith stirred up. God starts speaking to him. And this is, this is what happens. God shows up, he gives him the word, and his faith, his belief is stirred up once again. Here's the other thing that I, I want to note. And this is kind of the second half of chapter 15. Starting in verse 9 there, God says, bring me all, you know, he lists all these animals, this three-year-old heifer, this female goat, this ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. He says, bring me all these animals. And what he's going to do, and Abram knew this, okay, he knew what was going on when God asked him to bring all these animals and cut them in half, except for the birds. He knew that that was a covenant. We're going to talk at the end in the apologetic part about covenants a little bit. 
Um, Abram knew when he was bringing these animals and cutting them up and laying them out, he was about to enter into this very weighty agreement, this very weighty, uh, we would maybe use the word contract today with God. He was, I mean, it's a, you know, by today's definition, it would have been the most legally binding thing you could do with another person. I mean, you do this and there is no way out other than like dying. And so he's about to make this agreement with God. It's a verification. And here's the thing I love. When God shows up here in Genesis 15, he's not like taking Abram on some whole new thing. He is just reaffirming what he said all the way along. Since chapter 12, since Haran, all the way through this journey, this whole time, God hasn't changed the plan for Abram, but he reaffirms it every time he shows up. Every time Abram gets into the word of God again, the promises of God, the plan of God is reaffirmed, reestablished, and, and verified in him. And so God shows up, starts talking to Abram, and he verifies the covenant that he had already spoken out. He comes in and he reaffirms that this is what I'm going to do. And the verification of God's covenant came through a covenant involving sacrifice, an action involving sacrifice. Heifer, goat, ram, turtle dove, pigeon, they were sacrificed, their blood was shed, and it was a sign of the covenant God was making with Abram. Now what they would have done here, and I didn't do a picture or anything, but imagine a walkway, like imagine like a, a pathway lit up by, you know, like lights or like torches or something on both sides. It was like that. There was this path, except instead of torches, there were animal parts like laying on both sides of this path. And the symbolism here is, is they're walking through really like the blood of the animals and they're, they're recognizing that I am in a covenant with you right now where if we break this agreement, part of, part of the reason they separated these animals and set them aside is it's like, if I break this covenant, I'm going to be like these animals are. I, I am like telling you right now, this agreement is good to death. I am totally in. And, and the blood aspect of it, you know, blood was representative of life. And so the fact that there was blood involved in the covenant, um, it brings in this aspect of like, I am bringing my whole life before you and I am joining my whole life with you. Um, I actually brought a book out. This is one of my favorite books that uh, we got as a text in Bible college. It's called The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. And in this book, they go through covenant. I didn't you know, it would have been too much to do that tonight. Maybe another time we could teach about this, but you know, it goes through the steps of one of these blood covenants and, and I'll read them to you quick tonight. The first step, take off the coat of robe, take off the belt. And, and each one of these, they have so much representation, like taking off your coat or your robe. I mean, you're like appearing your whole self before this other person. It's like, I'm not holding anything back. I'm not concealing anything. I'm totally exposed before you. And so you know who I am. I know who you are. This is part of this covenant, taking off the belt. What that was representing was like, it wasn't just, I'm, you know, getting undressed. It's, I'm giving you all these tools, all these possessions, everything that I have that's beneficial, I'm offering to you. A lot of time they would like give their belt to the other person as a, a representation of, I'm giving you everything I've got that would be beneficial. And same thing, vice versa. They go on and it talks about cutting the covenant. That's what we see right here where they take these animals apart and it's, it's symbolic of um, just the, the weight of this agreement that's being made. I, I mean, mixing blood, exchanging names, um, having a scar that is something you can point back to to identify time and time again that there's covenant. We see that with this covenant. Uh, we're going to read that, I think, next week about how that circumcision, it's really a sign of covenant. It's a seal of covenant. Um, 
they go through covenant terms, they eat a meal, a memorial meal, and then they plant a memorial, something permanent that they can go back to and look and say, this is what happened here. And so covenant was a very weighty thing at this time, probably more so than most of the covenants people make today. You know, I mean, we live in a culture where it's like no big deal to break a covenant. I mean, people, people break agreements, people break partnerships, people get divorced and you know there I believe there is forgiveness if we've done that praise God that there's forgiveness for that but in this time I mean you make this agree that's it I mean you have totally agreed to the terms of whatever covenant and you know with these animals he says brought these animals in split them up it's like signing a contract but instead of just signing with ink I mean you're signing in blood you're signing in sacrifice you're giving something up just to establish this agreement and so it was can you tell it was a it was a big deal that this covenant was being made with Abram and so Anytime, and, and I love that God does this covenant with Abram here. Um, what I see with it is that anytime Abram would have dealt with doubt about God's promise coming to pass in his life, he could point back to the covenant that was sealed by the sacrifice of blood. You know, God doesn't just make a statement and then not back it up. Right. He's not like that. He won't just tell you something and then like, leave it at work. He always follows through on his word. And not only does he always follow through, he is going to give... Uh, uh, verification of it and that's why I said the verification of God's covenant came through the cutting of this covenant because now every time Abram is like looking at his family and he doesn't see a son there he can go back and say well I remember that night that God made an agreement with me and we sp split up the animals and well Abram didn't walk through we'll talk about that as well a little bit later but but God made this agreement with Abram. This agreement is something that he could go back to and, and have faith. Just stand firm in what he believed because it had been verified by God. I talked about the physical sign of circumcision that would be a reminder, a sign, a seal of the covenant uh, for all the Hebrew people that would come afterward. We'll discuss that when we get to chapter 17. And here's, here's my favorite part of the whole thing, okay? This cutting of covenant that God did with Abram in the Old Testament. This is a parallel of how we can point to the blood of Christ that was offered as a seal of the covenant and the promises of our covenant. So, when I don't see a promise that I know is in the Word, but I don't see it in my life yet, just like how Abram could point back to the night that, God, you made a covenant with me, I can point back to the cross that Jesus died on, spilled his blood on, and say, God, there was an agreement made that night, and I know that you're going to do what you said you would do. Amen. And when we understand the weight of covenant, it, it just gives me so much more surety that God's not some, like, some person that's going to go back on his word. He doesn't do it. He always comes through on his agreements, and he has made an agreement. He has made a covenant with us where he spilled the blood. He allowed his son's blood to be poured out as a sign of what he would do. It's verification. Let's look at uh, Matthew 26, verse 28 in the Amplified. So if I'm ever questioning a promise of God, something I've read in the Word and, and is supposed to be for my life, I can point back to the cross. I can look back to the cross as a sign, as a seal, as a memorial of the covenant that God has made with me. Matthew 26, 28 in the Amplified, it says, For this is my blood, Jesus is talking, For this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement. 
for the forgiveness of sins. So not only, and we talked about this Sunday, not only does the blood of Jesus wash us clean, it's also the sign that we have been sealed into an agreement with God. Isn't that good news? So I can look back on the cross with great joy that I have entered into a covenant with God. Great confidence, great belief that the covenant is established. And so through this, we've talked some about faith. And um, we, I wrote down here this statement. Abram believed the Lord and he accounted it to him as righteousness. I gave you some scriptures down there that talk about that. And really to sum up that point. Faith is the thing that made Abram righteous, and it was because he put his faith in God, not in himself. Okay, And that's true for us today too, isn't it? It's faith in God is what's going to make us right with him. That's, that's how we receive righteous status. It's, it's not by anything that we could do. And so there's some scriptures there for you that you can, you can go to another time. Let's read on tonight in Genesis 16 and talk about uh, impatience. Because as great as Abram was and as, as you know, much as we can look to him as a, a model of putting faith in God for righteousness and, and this establishment of covenant, we're, we've already seen through some of the other lessons, and we're going to see again here, he still was not a perfect guy. All right, And, and that should be something that gets... It's good news for us because God is able to work with people who aren't perfect. Isn't that good news? Let's read Genesis 16, then we'll go back and talk about it. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, which was Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multi for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Laha Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So there we have chapter 16. So 
I'm gonna kind of go back and talk about the situation Abram and Sarah were in. And I wrote it down titled The Impossible Circumstance because Abram was in a situation where it looked impossible that what God had promised could happen. Have you ever been in a situation like that where it seemed impossible that what God has said was going to come to pass? You know, I often, I, I can think about times where I was hurt or in danger and it seems impossible that things could have worked out for good and yet here we are today, you know, and, and I think even about um, times one of the things that was a big uh, revelation for me or an experience for me where God's word about provision came true was in college and I just didn't have the money to pay the bills and yet at the end of the month we were we were still going still had enough to pay the bills that were coming in still had enough to eat and pay rent and do the things that needed done and so um, and I just know that God's been faithful to me in providing and healing and protecting and keeping. And so um, even in impossible circumstances, and this is what we're going to see with Abram, God is faithful to come through on his word. I just kind of want to set the tone of, of what they were dealing with. Abram says he was 86 when Ishmael was born. And uh, what we'll find next week when we talk about Abram and Isaac is he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And so what that tells us then is this encounter... Um, in, in Genesis 16 where Sarai offered Hagar to Abram to go and bear him a child that would have happened when he was 85 years old now you've got a promise from God that you're gonna have a great nation come from you you're gonna have all these descendants more than all the stars in heaven and yet you don't have a child and you're 85 years old seems like an impossible circumstance to me and I, I mentioned this before too but I, you know, I can, I can kind of understand why Abram would have thought the way he thought. You know, we might read the word now and we might be reading this thinking, come on, Abram, like you're better than this. Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you, you know, let Hagar come into you and do that whole thing? Well, here's the thing. He was 85 years old and Sarah wasn't about to have, any, Sarai wasn't about to have any children um, just naturally. And then on top of this, he had been carrying this promise of descendants, this great nation, since he was 75 years old. He had waited 10 years. He was 10 years into waiting on this promise. 10 years and all, the all these different countries he had been to. I mean, he'd been waiting a long time. He had, <laughs> they'd been patient for a while, and yet now, um, you know, they're, they're questioning. They waited 10 years, and, you know, really... If we did the math, it would actually be 25 years until the promise of a son would come to fulfillment. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? It's a really long time to wait. And then there were other parts of the promise that took even longer. You know, the, the establishment of the, you know, all of the people more numerous than all the stars. I mean, that's, that's like today. I mean, we're thousands of years down the road from that, and that's today. But yet these promises always come to pass. God is always faithful to come through on his promises. Here's something we can take away from Genesis 16 with Abram and Sarai's um, interaction and impatience. Impatient action leads to less than results. Less than results. And I just kind of left that general because for us, it might not be having a baby with our wife's servant. Okay, most of us probably are not in that situation. But there may be other times where we're in faith for something but then we get a little impatient while we're 
patiently waiting to receive and the patience runs out and so we take an action out of patience and out of faith in God and the, the end result is less than what God's best result would have been. Let's look at a couple scriptures, Romans 8.25 and Philippians 4.6. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's talking about faith. Because faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we hope for what we do not see, if we've got faith, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That, that we could tie that right in with patience. You know, I've got patience to be excited while I'm waiting because I am expectant about what's going to come. And then in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, how can I wait with thanksgiving? How can I wait without worry or angst about anything? I mean, I'm sure Abram and Sarai were sitting up late in the tent talking about how they were going to have this generation one, they don't have any kids, and they're both, you know, like, she's in her 70s, he's in his 80s, and they're past their childbearing years. How is this thing going to happen? Well, I would say this. They were not following either of these two scriptures. They were not um, eagerly waiting with perseverance. They were, they were planning and trying to figure out a way to make it happen on their own. And then in Philippians 4, 6, I, I do not think that they were um, without angst. I think they were anxious for something. And, uh, you know, perhaps they were continuing on in prayer about it. Um, perhaps they were praying with thanks. I kind of doubt it. Um, but I... I what I see is an impatient, impulsive decision that led to a less than result because what we um, see as the, is the response, and we'll get into this more in a minute, but um, it caused a lot of destruction. It caused a lot of damage when they took an impatient action outside of faith. And that's, that's going to be the case every time that we're not acting, we're not living out in faith. Um, we're going to experience less than kind of results. God's best will always require his involvement. Here's something I see with this. God's best plan is always going to require his involvement in the plan. Now, we have a part in that. Absolutely, we do. But I believe God's best is always going to be something that has his hand in it, his involvement in it. We see this with Abram. Every time one of the best things in his life happens, you know who's at the wheelhouse? God is. Isn't that true with us too? I, I can tell you for my life it sure is. Every time the best things have happened, it's not because I'm out working and striving and finagling to make it happen on my own. I'm just, I'm resting, patiently waiting in faith. God's faithful. He'll, he'll give you his best if you'll be patient and keep your faith in him for it. Amen. Um, I'm going to turn over to Psalm 27. And I don't really have specific verses I wanted to mention, but this is a... It's a psalm about faith, and I just wanted to read a couple of the things I've got underlined and highlighted about a life of faith. All right, here, here are some declarations, and ex this is how it's titled, An Exuberant Declaration of Faith, written by David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Down in verse 3, he says, My heart shall not fear. In verse 4, he says, um, Behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I'm, I'm before God. I'm, I'm experienced. I'm, I'm, I'm intimate. And I have a relationship with God. My, my head shall be lifted up. Above my enemies all around me. Um, that's in verse 6. In verse 10, he says, um, The Lord will take care of me when, when my father and mother forsake me. The people that are supposed to care for me, when they give up on me, God's still going to care for me. In verse 13, he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. I would have been done if I didn't have faith to go on. I don't know about you, but I like the way of life of faith sounds. I like the way it sounds to live in faith. 
I, I believe this is the, the best, the, the more than kind of life that God has in store for us, which is much better than living outside of faith. Living life in faith, I believe this is how we're going we're gonna to experience God's best in life. Once Abram and Sarai are taking matters into their own hands rather than being patient um, to receive receive the promise. This is happening again. Once again, Abram and Sarai are taking matters into their own hands. You know, um, we can say that they weren't perfect, and we've we've said that before. This isn't the first time we've seen it because when they went to Egypt, what Abram didn't have faith for God as his protector, he tells Pharaoh, "Hey, that's my sister." And Pharaoh brings her into his house. I mean, he throws her under the bus because he's worried about getting killed. So it's not the first time Abram has made the mistake of not standing in faith. And once again, we see them taking matters into their own hands. That's what he did in Egypt. He found his own way to try to provide a source of protection. Here he's trying, him and Sarai, they're trying to find their own way to, to make this great nation happen. To, and you know, it wasn't, here's the thing, they were not just trying to have a son so that God's word would be fulfilled. They wanted a son for themselves. I don't think it was just about, you know, Lord, we, we think you need some of our help to make your plan come to pass. And so we're just, we're going to do this part that you can't figure out on your own. I don't think that was part of the, con- and I don't know, I wasn't there, but I don't think that was part of the conversation. I think it was, we want a son and here's a way that we can get a, a kid running around our tent. Yeah. So I'll say this about it. And, and here's the reason I even bring that up about Abram. It encourages me that Abram grew in faith as he came to know God through the word. Because we see this in his life. We see this progression. We're going to talk, um, I think, in two weeks about when God calls on Abram to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Or, you know, be willing to do that. He didn't have to do it. Just a disclaimer. So, you know, I just took all the tension out of that story. But I don't think the man we've read about who was scared of Pharaoh in Egypt or, or the man we're talking about here who thought he had to take the servant to have a son... I don't think he, he, that, he didn't have the faith to go and sacrifice Isaac on this day. You see that? He, he wasn't fully grown in his faith. And I, I don't know that he was ever fully grown in faith, but he, at the end, it says he, was, he did not waver in his faith when it came to the test of Isaac being offered. So this is a guy who grew in his faith. What that tells me is when I get around God, when I get God's word in my life, I can grow in faith. I don't have to stay in the same place of faith today as I was yesterday. I don't have to be limited to only having faith for a couple things. I don't have to just live life with faith that one day I'm going to get to go to heaven, probably. I can live in faith knowing, that, knowing where I'm going, know I'm, knowing I'm provided for today so I don't have to have worry, know that I'm healed today so I can live life full and alive live life in peace, live life in wisdom. I mean, we could go down the list of benefits we have in Christ. I believe this is God's best kind of life, and it's a life where we put our faith in Him. And so it encourages me that Abram was able to grow in, the, in faith as he came to know God through the Word. I'll tell you, I keep growing in faith as I come to know God in the Word, don't you? As we spend time in the Word, your faith is built up. <clears throat> and I wanted to make this note as well. I'm going to move through this last part quick, but acting out of doubt is different than taking actions that take you closer to Christ in faith. Um, I, I was just thinking about because sometimes 
I think there are circumstances where our faith is going to cause us to act. Our, our faith is going to cause us to do things like thank God. Or I was thinking, we, it's on your scripture sheet, I'm not going to turn to Matthew 9. It's talking about the, the guys who let their friend, the paralytic, down on the bed into the room where Jesus was at so that he could be healed and touched by Christ. I mean, that was faith in action. And I'm sure the paralytic and those guys and Christ and everybody there was glad that they took some action. But that action brought them closer to God. It didn't take them away from God's plan. And so do you see the difference there? Um, actions in faith is different than an action of doubt. That was action in, I believe that Christ is, is a healer. And so I'm going to get close to him. That's different than, you know, I got to find another way to get healed. I mean, I would almost say it would be like, you know, is my first response to pray about something or is it to take medication for something? I'm not against taking medication for things, but I'm going to pray before I do that. And I'm going to pray while I do that. And I'm going to put faith in God while I do anything in the natural. And I'm going to pray about it to know if that's the right approach for me to take because I believe God will speak to me about that and lead me in that. Amen. Do you believe that? I believe we ought to be taking actions that bring us closer to Christ um, rather than acting out of doubt, fear, worry, or unbelief. Faith in God, faith will lead you to God's plan. Doubt, fear, and worry are going to draw you away from it. All right? So I, I think that's just something I, I felt like it was good. It's something I see here with the story of Abram and Sarai. I want to live out of faith. I want to act out of faith, not fear, doubt, or worry. And so... Uh, we, we could probably talk for a while, I won't, but there were negative consequences that happened as a result of taking matters into their own hands. So often is the case, you know, it's like I said at the beginning, impatient action leads to less than results, right? And here are some of the less than results. We see um, hard feelings between Sarai and Hagar. I don't know what their relationship was like before, but it was definitely worse after the case. Uh, and, and it says, you know, Hagar, she got this attitude with Sarai. She was looking on her with contempt. She was like, well, I'm better than you are because I can have babies and you can't. And so there was this attitude that Hagar now has. And then Sarai is like furious with her. She's, I don't know exactly what she was doing, but she definitely wasn't nice. It was so bad that Hagar felt like the best option was to run into the desert where there was no food or water. She thought that's a better option than sticking around Sarai. I'm sure none of us have ever been around anybody like that in our life. Where it's like, just get me to the desert to get me out of here. This, that's how it was. I mean, it, was a, it, it caused bad things in the relationship. Here's something else we see this cause when, we're, when they're living and acting in, in impatience and in, in, in doubt. It, uh, it's like a repeat of the Garden of Eden because then we get all this blame shifting going on. Did you read that when, when we were going through it? Because then Sarah, she says, this is on you, Abram. I mean, that, that's Isaac's interpretation. But that's basically what she says. It's like, this is your fault. This is all your fault. You know, you, you couldn't just say no when I sent her into your tent. I'm like, yeah, okay, Sarah. But Abram doesn't take responsibility for it either. I mean, he's not going before the Lord repentant. I mean, in fact, he just says, hey, well, do whatever, do whatever will make you feel better. You know, you need to cut her out of your life, cut her out of your life. You need to be mean to her. You need to spit on her. You need to kick her. Do whatever. She's your servant. I mean, bringing out the worst in everybody, isn't it? That's what a life of doubt, fear, and worry will do to you. It's a life of not patience, not faith in God. That's what is going to be resulted. is a lack of accountability, anger, jealousy, hard feelings. None of it's good. And we see, again, like, like I mentioned, the Garden of Eden, Abram failed to do what was right by taking care of Hagar. 
and instead he chose to take the path of least resistance this is just like a thing we see with fallen men in the old testament it's like well let me just do the thing that's easiest on every let me do the thing that's easiest for me i'm not going to do the right thing i'm going to do the easy thing so hey we see that abram wasn't perfect and yet he was still a man of faith still counted righteous before god it's good news for you and me and then here's the other thing i see with this interaction between god abram sarah and hagar god is faithful to forgive God is faithful to forgive. That's good news for us too. God is faithful to forgive because despite the shortcomings of Abram and Sarai, God was still faithful to them. He was still faithful to his covenant with Abram. You know, here's uh, four things I see with that. Number one, God's faithful because he takes care of Hagar and he makes a promise to her of future descendants. You know, he didn't have to do that, but he's good. And, and he's faithful. And so even when Abram messes it up, God is still faithful to work it for good. And, and he doesn't hold it against Hagar and just banish her to, um, you know, a life of desolation. And then the second thing, he keeps his promise to Abram. You know, Abram, well, he, uh, he did not hold up to covenant. You know, this agreement, uh, he, had, he had taken his faith out of God. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he directly disobeyed a, a command that God had given him, but he was trying to do it on his own. And like we said before, impatient action, doubtful action is going to lead to a less than result. But God is faithful. He keeps his promise to Abram. God never breaks the covenant that he made with Abram. And, you know, here's the great redemptive thing about it in the end. Abram does believe God and it is accounted to him for righteousness. That phrase we've been talking about. In the end, there is, there is a restoration that happens. There is a redemption that happens at the end of this uh, because Abram is still counted as a righteous man. He's still listed as the, you know, the father of the faith. I mean, he, he is a man of faith. He is a man of belief in God, even though he messed some things up early on. Here's a, just a note I wrote down about it. One misstep does not define him for the rest of his life. Isn't that great news? One misstep does not define Abram. Multiple missteps do not define Abram for the rest of his life. You know, God, I wrote, or I said it earlier, God inspired Paul in Romans to say he did not, it's in, it's in chapter 4, he did not waver in faith despite his nearly 100-year-old body. That's how it says it there. Well, I don't think that was necessarily talking about Genesis 15, but it was talking about him at the end when he had faith in having a son and had faith that God would come through on his promise, had faith in the word God has has given him. It doesn't mean that Abram never wavered in his life, but in the end he chose to believe. That's the truth about it. it. This statement that Abram did not waver in faith. It doesn't mean that never once in his life did he question or or have a a struggle with doubt or worry about something. It's not that because we've seen the cases, right? We've seen the moments where there was some doubt or some fear or some struggle or some question. But in the end, he did not waver in faith. In the end, he knew who God was. In the end, he knew that God was faithful. In the end, he knew that he could believe in the promise in the word of God. Amen? And so we can, we can take just an encouragement from that, knowing that one misstep, it's not going to define us with God. It's, a, it's about, well, what do we do today? What do we do today? You know, maybe yesterday was, was a question. Maybe I had some questions about faith today. What am I going to do today? Am I going to go to the Word and let my faith be stirred up today so that I can end saying I didn't waver in faith? That's how I want to live, everybody. I want to grow in my faith like Abram grew in the faith. 
And here's the second part of this note on forgiving. God's faithful in forgiving us too. Just like he forgave Abram, just like he still held up covenant that he had with Abram, he is faithful in forgiving us too. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah! He's faithful to forgive. And then in Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We have forgiveness because of God's grace and because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the covenant we have in Christ. It's good news, isn't it? Let's spend our last uh, four or five minutes here talking about a couple of apologetic things that we can take away from, um, from chapter 15 and 16. Of Genesis. First thing I want to talk a little bit about here is uh, covenant. Covenant, all right? So to make covenant, and I mentioned this before, it was a very sacred and a very weighty agreement um, in, in that time, and really it should be today too. Um, even more so than contracts people enter into today. I kind of referenced that, but I mean, these covenants were not something that you could just change your mind about and get out of. It wasn't like, you know, I could just default on it if it doesn't work out. I can just get some kind of like loan forgiveness if this thing doesn't work out. I can just, you know, I'll take them to court and figure, we'll sort it out there. No, there was none of that. You did it or you died. I mean, this is the covenant, all right? You did it or you were, you were done. Today we sign agreements in ink. Um, in other times, they've been agreed on with handshakes. At some points in history, people would change possessions out. And we talked a little bit about that, like with the belts and symbolic of, um, you know, giving one another really lives. Spilling of blood is, is what we see here. And this is something that was common in the cultures in the Old Testament. Um, giving blood for covenant, it just brought in the weight, the seriousness of, of this covenant that was being made. We saw tonight the process of what is called cutting covenant. And it's called cutting covenant because you cut some stuff up to make the covenant happen. Here in this covenant, covenant, it was a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Like I mentioned earlier, they would have cut these these animals in half except for the birds, set set them on two sides, and then walked through. Um, That was a sign of really the consequence of breaking the covenant and the cost of entering into covenant. in this story, I didn't get into it a lot earlier. I was hoping we'd have time, and we do, to talk about it. God, he makes this covenant agreement with himself. If you noticed in the story, Abram fell asleep when this covenant was being made. And the, my belief is that um, Abram was asleep, and, and he didn't pass through the animals. The reason for that is because God was aware that Abram, even the great man of faith Abram, wouldn't be able to keep the covenant completely. You know, God, God knew the state of man, and he knew that man wasn't redeemed. He knew that Abram wasn't full of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in his life. I mean, he knew that Abram was going to mess it up, and he did immediately after the covenant was I mean, because it's chapter 15, God makes the agreement. Chapter 16, they decide to have a baby with the servant. So there is not a lot of time there. It's like as soon as it's over, messing it up. And sometimes maybe we feel that way. It's okay because God makes the covenant with himself, by himself. Isn't that good news? That's why he sent his son to die. He knew that a man couldn't do it. He knew that there wasn't just a man that could come and be perfect and then die as the perfect sacrifice. So he sent his son, who was equally him and man, so that the covenant could be made with you and I. That's why Jesus had to come as a man. 
Because a man needed to make the covenant, and there wasn't a man on earth that was able to make it, because none of us were good enough on our own. And so God came, God sent the Son, Jesus, to come as God and man and fulfill the covenant. So God took matters into his own hands to provide a way for the plan of salvation. He did it then. He did it in the New Testament. It's available for us today. It's good news. Here's a couple other apologetic things. The promised land and a promise of descendants. Here are just like a couple conversations. I've never had someone bring this up, but if you do, here's, here's how you can talk about it. There was a time where skeptics refuted the validity of the word because there was a lack of extra biblical information about the Hittite people. See, this is, this is how people in the world do it. They want to discredit the word, so they find the smallest thing that they can't figure out, and then they say, this is the reason that we can't believe what the word says. You see here in verse 20 of Genesis 15 where it says, the Hittites, the Hittites, People used to use that to say Genesis is not true. That one word, and it was because archaeologists could not find Hittite ruins. They couldn't find the people that used to live in the region. And so they said, well, because we haven't found this culture, among all these cultures, they said, we can't find this one, so it must not be true. I mean, how stupid is that? It's pretty dumb. Well, here's the thing. In 1832, an ancient city was discovered in modern-day Bogazakale, Turkey. And this was found to be the capital of the Hittite Empire. And I've got some pictures of it actually. I thought these might be fun to look at, you know, around the world on a Wednesday night. So this is where it's at. It's kind of up further in Turkey, but like any empire, there would have been spread and they would have gone down around the region. You know, they were in between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, so it's likely that they were accustomed to boats. They would have been found down through Syria, Israel, probably into Jordan. So the Hittite people, among all these other, you know, nations, empires that were there, they were based out of kind of that center point in Turkey, um, but, but they would have spread all through the region. And then here are some of the ruins that have been found in that area, in that capital of the empire. And if you go online and you, you search Hittite ruins, you'll see pictures like this. Um, here's another one, just some of the pictures of that area that's been dug out at this point. So this, uh, this city would have been the capital of the empire. And the presence of the Hittite people mentioned in the word, well, with this discovery, it aligns with archaeological findings. And so that's what we see happen time and time again. Observational science, proven out like we see it, we know it, there's no doubt about it. Science is always going to line up with the Word of God because the Word of God is the truth. And then here's one other thing for you, the promise of descendants. I'm just mentioning this because it used to be something that was refuted too. At one time, skeptics, and, and this just like, I think it's so awesome to see the progression of people thinking the Word of God isn't true, and then science, like, tells all the scientists that they were wrong about the Bible. I love it when that happens. It's like, yes, another win. Promise of descendants. At one time, skeptics said the word of God must have been wrong, must have failed, because God had said, and once again, it's one of those little words, God said Abraham's descendants would be, they would outnumber the stars of heaven. And in another scripture we'll see, it says, and be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Um, and so the issue with that was, the science of the day earlier on in history, science said there were only about 10,000 stars. And so if the word's true and all the believers are descendants of Abraham, then, well, the Bible's wrong because 
you know, there's only 10,000 stars. And so there was flaws there. The stars are, are so fewer in number than the sand on a seashore. So the Bible must have been wrong by making that comparison. Well, guess what? Science found out just in the Milky Way galaxy, it's estimated there's between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. It's a lot more like the sand on a seashore, and that's just our galaxy. And so observational science has once again aligned with the Word of God, just showing that it's true. Look, I don't need science to know that the Word is true, but it's pretty great when it lines up and the people who were skeptics have to say, well, I guess we were wrong about that. Well, you know, we'll have to find some other word that we haven't found you know, validation for yet. And so once again, we see the word reign true. I just want to end with this scripture and then we'll pray and close. Proverbs 30, verse five, as we're talking about apologetics, says every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. I don't know about you, but I'm putting my trust in him tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We've seen it with Abraham. We've seen it in our own life, Lord. You've been faithful. You have cut covenant. You, you made a way by giving the Son, Jesus, coming and, and uh, giving His blood as a, as a seal, as a, a signature, as it were, on the contract of our agreement of us being brought in, Lord. You signed our adoption papers with the blood of the Son, and we're so thankful for that, that we've been brought into Your house. We've been called children of You, God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, and so we're thankful that just like Abram was brought into covenant with you, God, who you never back out, you never fail, you never fall short of keeping your word. It's true for us today, too. We are your children. We are in covenant with you, and we're so thankful that you are faithful to always keep your word, always keep your covenant. We're thankful that you did what no person could do. You made a way. You had a plan, and you got it done, Lord. You took matters into your hands, and I thank you that as we put our faith in you and choose to not put it in ourselves, to not take matters into our own hands, as we as we live growing in faith by going back to the word and having our faith built up and stirred. God, I thank you that just like when Abram put his faith in you, you came through. You always come through for us too, God. We know your promises. Your word is true. We see it confirmed and verified over and over and over again. And so we have faith in your word. We have expectation. We have a hope that what we read in the Bible what we read and, and see here, what is revealed and taught to us by your spirit, it is true. It is coming to pass. We have faith in that more than any, any plan, any way we could get something done on our own. And so, God, we look to you with, with patience, with ex expectation, and with uh, just an excited perseverance to stand in faith in all things, in all times. Lord, the, the circumstances don't dictate what we believe. We believe your word, and we have faith in it. We have trust in it. We have hope in it. We just love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming. Hope you have a wonderful evening.